So welcome to the Geek and Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. And it's I'm at in Chicago at the Art AM conference, and I grabbed Damien Real from uh, Belex Fastcase to give us a demonstration or to talk about uh, the Vincent AI tool that was released this week. So Damien, welcome back to the show. And thank you so much for having me back. Really thrilled to be here. All right, so we've all seen some of the uh, news out this week that um, you are releasing the Vincent AI. Uh, Vincent's been around for a little bit of time now. Um, so can you just kind of give us a kind of overview of the history of how this got started and where we are right now? Absolutely. So uh, so Belex has been around for uh, with its component companies for 35 years. And of course, Fastcase has been around for 20 years, 23 years. And so the companies have been uh, amassing a, a massive data set. Uh, right. And, you know, we've known for years that data is the new oil. Uh, and we arguably have the largest, broadest oil field in the world across 100 plus countries worldwide. Uh, and uh, it's really hard to amass that oil field of 100 plus countries. Uh, but once you've amassed it like we have, then you can run large language models. And so, uh, so really it starts 35 years ago with amassing that oil field and then uh, fast forward to this past March when VLEX and Fastcase merged. Uh, VLEX, uh, if you can know Fastcase and Phil and Ed uh, over the last 20 years have been collecting and democratizing the law in the United States. Right. Uh, Luis and Angel uh, in Spain have been doing that for uh, with its component countries over 35 years and not just in the United States, but worldwide. So now we've taken Ed and Phil's US oil, combined it with uh, Luis and Angel's worldwide oil, and now we have over a billion legal documents that so, we are now able to be able to run large language models. All right. So you guys are the OPEC of uh, legal information. Uh, that's right. Without <laughs> without all any of the antitrust connotations that OPEC uh, might uh, might have. Yeah. So it's uh, people are finding that um, without the oil, uh, you're just a wrapper around GBT. Uh, right. That is that is the oil is necessary to refine that oil into the products that you're looking for. Okay. So, and I know that you, you've had a good integration between Felix and Fastcase. Uh, just with regular legal information services for uh, search. Um, so how are you leveraging the large language models to even improve upon that? Sure. So, uh, you know, stage one is to be able to run uh, a search, to be able to use a vector uh, database, to be able to do what uh, is done in the industry as retrieval augmented generation. Right. Uh, that is to be also known as RAG, to be able to take our billion documents and based on the query, be able to take those billion legal documents and then be able to refine them to say maybe 50 documents or 100 documents that are most uh, most relevant to the query and then taking those and then run the large language across that smaller data set to be able to get the product answer that you're looking for. So that's really where you're taking our oil and then shrinking it down to a manageable size and then doing large language models on that. Okay. And in doing that, then you're getting rid of the issues with hallucinations and whatnot that, that you hear a lot about that as you start to introduce these into law firms, it's the first thing that uh, we, we get hit with. So uh, so that kind of grounds the the results back to the, the, to the relevant documents themselves and cites to those documents. That's right. exactly right. So uh, option one is to ask, say, ChatGPT out of the box, give me a motion to dismiss for breach of contract in the Southern District of New York, and then uh, and give me cases that are relevant, uh, uh, ChatGPT generally. And because ChatGPT focuses on the internet writ large, it may well hallucinate things. That's option number one. Option number two is to find the actual motion to dismiss for a breach of contract. 
in the Southern District of New York and now say, here are the 20 uh, of those. Give me the arguments and the cases statistically most likely to win for those. Uh, and the odds of hallucination for that now constrained retrieval augmented data set is very small. Uh, you are more likely to have, uh, and in fact, this solves the hallucination problem. Okay. Um, and, and let me ask you on this. Uh, how do you ensure that that initial query or prompt that you're doing and you say with the re retrieval, retrieval augmented generation uh, that the 50 cases that it picks are relevant? Because a lot of, you know, we're asking just common English, uh, you know, or uh, not even sure if you, you know, there's multiple languages uh, at play with Vlex. How how is it that you tune the uh, the rag model so that it can interpret the query, the prompt, and get you the relevant cases first? Yeah, there are two methods on that, and really the best ways of ensemble between those two methods. Uh, so method number one is what most people are uh, familiar with uh, is just regular symbolic AI. Uh, so the symbolic AI is to knowing that this is a motion to dismiss uh, for a breach of contract in the Southern District of New York. Um, you can tag those things up using symbolic AI. And that's what uh, Itai Gurari is somebody that we hired through Judicata acquisition, where he uh, has a symbolic AI to be able to have with 99.6% certainty that this is a motion to dismiss for a breach of contract in the Southern District of New York that has been granted. Uh, for example. So okay. it could do the retrieval augmented that way. Uh, or another way is to do that is through the uh, vector database that I mentioned earlier, where you could say, give me all the motions to dismiss. Uh, and uh, the precision on this, uh, the vector database is probably going to be less than the precision on the on the symbolic AI, right. uh, just because you know, there is there is a, a error rate in the uh, vector database that maybe there is not. Okay, but you said there's kind of a blending so, that you use? So if you do the both, then you're able to say, give me the motions to dismiss for breach of contract in the Southern District of New York that relate to this particular factual scenario. Okay. Uh, that's where the vector database, uh, you know, that involve a car, for example. And the vector database would be able to say, well, a car is in the same vector space as automobile, as van, as truck, as whatever. So because uh, it knows syntactically and semantically that they live in the same vector space, it is able to then work with the symbolic AI to be able to say, of these motions, give me the ones with this factual scenario that even if I search for car, it'll pull in van uh, to be able to. All right. Well, that, that sounds very exciting. Um, so you launched uh, Vincent AI this week? And that's right. It's past week. Yeah. Um, so how's the reaction been so far? And I, I know you've had people testing it. Um, but uh, what's kind of been the reaction? Uh, so I, I, last week I, I spoke at LegalApps.com. I gave the, the keynote there and I gave kind of a sneak preview uh, last Monday. Um, and then we launched it uh, last Tuesday. And uh, between last Tuesday and today, I've literally had back-to-back 30-minute -back uh, demos uh, for 12 hours a day of everyone who's excited about what we're building. Uh, and almost 100% of those have turned into, yes, I want to test this. I want to be able to bring this into my firm. So, okay. uh, so, so far, I'm, uh, I have 100% hit rate. Um, Okay. And then if I'm at a firm, is this something for my litigators? Is this something for my transactional folks? Where do you see this having the, the quickest impact? And I would say that uh, anyone who needs research uh, could be able to use our tool. Obviously, the litigators will want to be able to know what are, um, what are arguments uh, that are most likely to win. Uh, and that's something we do. Uh, I want to get a lay of the land on uh, is California law better or is New York law better? Do you heard of analysis? That's obviously good for litigators. Uh, but we also have, with that worldwide data set, we currently have the UK data, and we also have Spanish data. 
So to the extent that uh, our UK friends are saying, hey, uh, we have lawyers in the UK that feel left out of the generative AI boom because they, there's no UK oil thus far in the tools that have existed uh, to be able to go. So, uh, so I would say that anyone who wants to know what are my privacy obligations in these 50 states plus the UK, uh, plus in Spain, um, they might be interested too on the transactional Yeah, and you and I last night had a had a conversation on this, and that you know it's great that you have such a worldwide database of, of information. Um, but I've I've heard people like Bobby Ambrosi say, "But I'm just a you know I'm I'm just a poor lawyer from Massachusetts, and I only you know work work in this." Um, how do you address the issues with with people saying, "Well, that's just." more than I really need. Sure. So um, I would say that there are a lot of firms that do um, multi-order uh, jurisdiction. That is, uh, you know, you may have uh, clients that do work in Mexico or they are the clients that work in multiple. So obviously for the largest firms and those cross borders, we can help them. And then for those like Bob who say, I'm just a, you know, just a Massachusetts lawyer that does Massachusetts law. I would wager that Bob actually has clients that have uh, not only offices in the U.S., but maybe offices in Canada or offices in the U.K. or offices in the EU. Where if Bob would say, hey, I now have access to these data sets, uh, the clients might say, hey, I want to do a 50 state jurisdiction uh, survey, 50 state survey, or maybe a 50 country survey, where uh, they may not have known that uh, Bob had access to those things in the past. So I would say even those limited ju ju jurisdiction may have clients that expand beyond that. Yeah, our, our reach is probably further than we think it is. So, well, do you want to... Yeah jump in and give us a little demo? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so the, the problem that we're solving is the same problem that uh, that our, our poor friend Steve Schwartz from the New York uh, has uh, said yeah. was Abiyaka is that- we, We've talked about him a few times. Poor Steve. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I feel like you know he's gotten the, the rind of the deal. But if you ask uh, GBT, uh, ChatGBT out of the box, a uh, legal question um, post uh, Abiyaka, and now it's kind of neutered, uh, that is OpenAI is kind yeah. of neutered these results. So it's, it's going to give some things that are kind of directionally okay. Uh, but you're not going to see very good uh, cases, statutes, not really going to see things that you can enter into a, a case. So if you're going to have to do the research anyway, uh, why did, why even go to the GPT in the first place? Right. So instead of that, uh, what you can do is you could be able to ask a new question and you could be able to say, uh, what is trade secret law regarding former employees uh, allegedly stealing customer lists? Uh, and what you see here is it's asking this question across real non-hallucinated cases and real non-hallucinated statutes and real non-hallucinated regulations and real non-hallucinated secondary sources, that is high quality secondary sources like the ABA. And right. what we're doing with these secondary sources is favoring high quality ABA and recency. Uh, so if it's recent and high quality, that's what's included in this. So you can, here you can see that Connecticut Bar Journal has come up. So what it's doing right now, you can see that it's already pulled up six cases uh, and it's found 42 of them and it's reviewing 15 of those. And what you see here is the blue lines on the right is actual non-hallucinated quotations, block yep. quotations from, in this case, coordinating, uh, courtesy temporary service. Uh, and you find those block quotations in every single one of the sources. So this is a thing that distinguishes from our competitors where you can, um, the large language model, the name of the game is trust, but verifying, right. uh, that you have to trust the output, but you have to verify that it's actually correct. And we make it the easiest to trust and verify because right here on the same page, it is, you give verification to be able to see how well this text maps to this question that is right here. So it's dead simple to trust and verify. Um, what we also do, that's stage one, is the quotation. Stage two is we ask the large language model, how well does this quoted text answer this question? And what you see here is the large language model answering how well or how poorly that large language model answers this question. Yeah. Uh, and then it provides a, uh, a confidence score. 
as to how well or how poorly. And what you'll see here is uh, 100%, 90%, 80%, 70%. Uh, and if it's below 70% that you see here, it, uh, we don't even show it to you okay. uh, because if it's below 70, you don't care. So that's thing number two is that now it's found, uh, you've gone through maybe a hundred cases, found the 14 that matter, summarized each of those 14. And now you can see a memorandum uh, that is uh, this provide. Uh, much more nice, uh, when I would provide the, uh, my associates, I would say, hey, don't make me wait to the bottom to give me the answer. Right. Give me the answer right up, top. right up top. So now here's a one paragraph, the answer right up top. And then once you've given me the answer, then go into a case law discussion. That is provide one paragraph per case. And so here you're going to see one paragraph per case. Uh, and it talks about uh, uh, these various cases that are here. Um, and then what you're going to see in a moment is, uh, you know, the large language models are sick facts. They tell you what you want to hear. Right. Uh, but we counteract that by prompting, by saying, don't tell us just what we want to hear. Tell us what we need to hear. And I'm going to pull the old baking trick where I'm going to go to the already baked thing since opening eye is going to take a bit. Uh, to be able to make this uh, this memorandum, uh, but much like uh, don't tell me just what I want to hear, tell me what I need to hear. Here you'll see the exceptions and legal caveats. Uh, so the legal give me the exceptions to the rules. Okay. Give me the the flies in my ointment. And so here you can see that there are various exceptions. For example, uh, it doesn't uh, provide you from uh, announcing your change of employment, uh, and if it contains something that's easily obtained by public sources, uh, maybe you have to do it. So these are the exceptions to the rule to counter that sick factors. Uh, of large language models. Um, and so if you if we go back to our original one, um, if you think about how long it would take an associate to read through hundreds of cases, lands on 14, okay. six secondary sources, and then uh, take those 20 sources and turn them into a mem memorandum, probably going to be longer than the two to three minutes that it's going to take to do this right here. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that early models were having issues with um, was you know, the cool thing about using a chat GPT is the chat is that you can ask it follow-up questions. You can kind of narrow in or expand upon uh, the, the previous question, but it retains that information uh, before. Is that something that you're able to do here? Sure. And then, so here you can see the edit the question. So if I want to edit the question, I can say to include more things like this. Um, so um, your the chat interface, so we've thought a lot about the user experience, uh, also known as UX. Uh, and one is a chat experience. So here I'm going to show on my screen, uh, you know, uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT is a blank thing that I can do anything with. Right. Um, the problem with that is that it gives you the paradox of choice. You're like, I can do everything, so I, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. Right. Especially if I'm a lawyer that doesn't want to be a prompt engineer. I just want an answer. Uh, and so this paradox of choice is something we've avoided, or at least tried to avoid, by, um, by saying, hey, if you want to answer a question, you don't need to be a prompt engineer. All you have to do is provide a ask a question, much like you would ask the question of a first year associate to do that. Um, and so then we give you a curated, well structured memo as the outside of that. And so the chat interface we may be adding later on, uh, but we think that maybe that chat, uh, that blank box that gives you the paradox of choice is maybe not the right paradigm. But instead, you just want to ask a question, get an answer, and then move on to the next question that you have okay. and do it this way. Do you, have you found that? Um there are better ways to prompt uh, Vincent for the information, or do you just suggest just ask it ask it a regular question? I, I, we uh, we are leaning toward asking it a question, much like you would ask a first year associate. So much like you would write an email, hey, first year associate, could you a answer this legal question? Uh, and then say, you know, for example, what is the trade secret law for employees stealing customer lists? That is a straightforward question that gets a straightforward answer. Uh, if you provide a paragraph worth of thing with lots of the caveats and that kind of thing, you can imagine that the vector space uh, embedding search, uh, is, uh, if you provide a paragraph 
the number of cases that will have that entire paragraph's worth will be very slim. Um, so I would say that lawyers are good at speaking in declarative sentences and giving a clear instruction to a per dumb first-year associate that doesn't know any better. Right. Um, do the same thing for the large size. And then uh, can you restrict it to certain uh, districts or courts or states? Uh, and, and can you do multiples of those or is it just one at a time? That's uh, it's almost like you're doing the, the discussion for me. Yeah. So, so, uh, so for, uh, for answer question, I could be able to, you know, be able to do this, uh, very soon. You're going to see an ad federal to be able to say California plus uh, ninth circuit, et cetera. Um, uh, but let's go on to the next skill where I can actually compare jurisdictions. I can take this question that I've asked and, uh, maybe I'm a litigator that wants to say that the other side has said that California applies. Uh, but I think that, uh, maybe. New York uh, is better. Uh, and then uh, I also have uh, clients in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, my client has a United Kingdom presence and also have a Spanish presence. Uh, now, this is unique in the industry, we think, uh, to be able to, now it's running four memoranda simultaneously. One memoranda for California, one for New York, one for the United Kingdom, and one for Spain. Uh, and so we'll provide a memoranda for each of those. And very soon, what you're going to see is a fifth memoranda saying, take these four final memoranda and then uh, take a fifth one to say, how are each of these jurisdictions similar and how are they different? Right. Uh, and for those distinguishing, what are the aspects of that? Which they can compare. Yeah, oh, nice. the jurisdictions. And uh, I'm particularly proud of the Spanish question that we're answering here because what we're doing is we're uh, asking an English question uh, and then it's we've translated it into Spanish. And right now it's found 25 Spanish language authorities that it's now reviewed. And very soon you're going to see Spanish cases, Spanish statutes, and Spanish regulations. And then that stage two that we talked about, it's going to take that and round trip it into English and give you an English answer to the Spanish law. And then on the left-hand side, you'll see a memorandum in English about the Spanish language law. Uh, we think that is unique in the industry. Uh, that is, uh, if you want to do uh, you know, questions in German and French and Portuguese, et cetera, um, we know uh, the system knows that uh, my language settings right now are in English. Uh, but I could have just as well be Italian. Okay, so you can ask, they're prompted in Spanish or Portuguese or, or French. That's right. right. And, then, yeah. and then you're able to ask a Portuguese question at, on Spanish law uh, and then get a Portuguese answer to that. Very interesting. Um, eventually, I'm, I'm thinking back to not me taking Spanish in high school because they didn't offer it. Uh, but... Uh, my kids taking Spanish in that, you know, there are differences in, in language between you know, Spain and Mexico or Venezuela or Chile, um, that, you know, there's different ways that, that things are said. It's kind of like in, in English, we don't use as many use in, you know, labor, neighbor, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, it does, it adjust for the, uh, jurisdiction as well that's a really good question uh, and uh so there's I, I think the language the translation two parts two answers to your question is one on the translation side of it uh so going from english does it translate it to spanish spanish or mexican spanish right maybe well different and i actually don't know the answer to that uh but then stage two is the uh the uh as it pulls in the uh, pulls in the spanish language question answer to that um does it distinguish mexican spanish from spanish spanish and yeah, and doing that vector search, and I also don't know the answer to that question, but that's a really good question yeah. for Angel, who is our chief. There we go. Yeah, you can take that back, Joe. Right, and especially because Angel speaks Catalan at home, which is a variant of Spanish, yeah. and uh, yeah. and yeah, there's many uh, different. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, but uh, but they've been around for twenty plus years, and so they've been 
uh, doing this kind of translation from language one to language two for many, many years now. Uh, and so this is a relatively solved problem. Okay. So you talk about uh, you know phase one, phase two. Um, are there long range plans or ideas that you have on where you think this could, could be in, you know, two or three years that other that we may not be thinking about? Yeah, I, I would say I would shorten your time frame from two or three years to uh, to the next six months. All right. uh, I think there's lots of low hanging fruits uh, that uh, that the team uh, and I have been looking thinking through, uh, and one of them is taking uh, our doctoral arm 775 million judicial opinions, briefs, pleadings, motions that are filed at the district court level, because that's actually where most of the work is done. Almost none of the work is in the appellate level. Right. Uh, almost all of us at the district court level. So imagine. Um, you know, right now and today in Dr. I could be able to say I'm in front of Judge Smith uh, in the Southern District of New York. Uh, I do, I'm doing a motion for summary judgment. Uh, I can right now find all of the motions for summary judgment that she's granted uh, in all of those cases. And through retrieval augmented generation, maybe that's uh, 45 motions for summary judgment that she's granted. The right. Now today I can copy and paste from those 45 successful motions and say, Your Honor, this is just like the case you decided yesterday. You should decide the same way today. Helpful today. But how helpful would it be to be able to take those 45 texts from those cases, put them into a large language model, and say, now give me a new motion for summary judgment that has arguments in cases that are statistically likely to win for this judge, for this cause of action, and then take your facts and say, now here are new facts. Implement those into this motion for summary judgment and make tell me how those facts allow me as a plaintiff to win. Uh, that is, I think, where the industry is going. But to be able to do that magic I just talked to you about, uh, you need to be able to have all the motions for summary judgment that have been successful. Uh, being able to tag that out with high accuracy is something that is very, very hard. And uh, I, I think we maybe do it better than anyone. Yeah, and that wouldn't be just relying on a large language model to do this. You would have to have, you know, analytics, the, a huge, you know, corpus of information that has been analyzed. I mean, I guess you could you could use the the uh, generative AI to, to help with the analytics, but, um, yeah, so you're kind of like merging, you know, multiple different types of tech into one output. That's that, exactly right. That's exactly right. And to, to get put a finer point on it. Uh, so here's the, you know, today right now I could be able to say, this is a trademark case, uh, in the district of Minnesota in front of my friend, judge Susan Richard Nelson, we've already extracted, uh, all the complaints and answers, all the motions and all the orders on the motions. Uh, we've done that for not five or 10 different motion types, like maybe some of our competitors, but for 225 different motion types. And once you've extracted whether they've been granted or denied or partially granted, now I can be able to say, hey, I want Susan Richard Nelson, the judge, to be able to grant my motion for summary judgment. And so now here are 128 cases where Susan Richard Nelson has granted summary judgment. And now I could be able to say, I don't care about all those. I just care about contract cases. So I can say, cool, here are the 45 contract cases. Where literally you could say this is just like the case you decided yesterday copy and paste copy and paste now you can take for these 45 documents take all the text from those throw them into a large language model and be able to then say give me statistically likely to win arguments and citations for this judge for this motion type for this cause of action uh, and to be able to do that you need this highly precise uh tagging this is when we acquired judicata uh we acquired uh itai garari who was the ceo of judicata came over and his precision rate on what you see right here is 99.6% precise. Humans are about 96%. This is 99.6. Uh, because if it, were, if it were, say, 90% with a machine learning model, 
um, you wouldn't trust this number. You wouldn't trust that this number is correct because there's a 10% swing on this. But because it's almost 100% uh, precise, you're able to do that. And because it's 100% precise, you also get the granted number. That is now you can trust this. These are all successful motions for summary judgment. Uh, to be able to do this, uh, none of this is generative AI. All of this is symbolic AI. That is okay. a really smart person like Itai Garari spending years of his life. Uh, and uh, after working at Google Scholar and then taking all that experience, put that 99.6% precision on there. Um, that is all symbolic AI. And for others to be able to try to replicate that with generative AI, uh, good luck with that. Is there anything that is still you're, you're working on for the next phases of this that are kind of stumping you now that any issues that you're having uh making the the generative ai work the way you want um that you think will will improve over time i i i really haven't seen any I, you know it's it's all about the prompting as you and everyone else who has been experimented with this knows. and so uh with a few iterations of the prompting you can get really high quality results not only from gpt4 but also claude and we're looking at all the other models and um you know good prompting is good prompting and so uh so once you have that good prompting um you, I can do on the back end of my software so the user doesn't have to do it on the front end. So lawyers do not have to be prompt engineers. Uh, we can be able to do the hard work for you. Uh, Sam Altman said, uh, when asked, like, hey, is, uh, how important is prompt engineering going to be in the future? Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, which makes ChatGPT, Sam said, God, I hope prompt engineering is not a for years yeah. uh, or even one year. That, that he on his OpenAI side and Anthropic on their side and Google on their side and Meta on a lot of sides all those companies will do on the back ends and I will do on my back end. So the end user doesn't have to prompt engineer on here. Yeah. Are you getting questions of how secure is the information that I'm putting in to Vincent? Yes. Uh, and, the, uh, you know, I, I worked before I worked at uh, Fastkings Felix, I worked in cybersecurity and you might remember that Facebook hired me uh, to investigate Cambridge Analytica. So, um, the cybersecurity uh, runs deep in my bones. And whenever I would advise clients on the cybersecurity side, I would say, what are the crown jewels that you're looking to protect? That is, are they crown jewels? Or is it uh, you asking what you had for lunch yesterday or whether you want to go to lunch? Uh, crown jewels are very important. What you have for lunch is less important. So you want to protect crown jewels more than what you have for lunch. So when you think about the queries that are put into these systems, um, you're not saying, hey, we represent company X in their merger agreement that's coming up pretty soon uh, with company Y. Uh, what's going to happen with this? So you're not putting that sensitive information in this research query. What you're saying is, what is the antitrust implications of two companies, one in the UK, one in the US, merging? Uh, that is more like, what are you having for lunch? That is less sensitive information. That's thing number one. Thing number two is now, um, now that's less sensitive information, yes, of course, we keep it very secure. And of course, we have instances within our large language models where those large language models have told us that any input into those large language models will not make its way back into the model itself. Okay. Uh, so yeah, security is uh, is deep in our uh, top of mind for us. And uh, okay, um, where do you kind of see this heading over the next? This is a variation of our crystal ball question, I guess. Uh, where where do you see this heading over the next you know uh, two years? I, I would say that there's. There's lots of low-hanging fruits uh, that I, when I left the practice of law, uh, I thought uh, in 2015, I thought computers are going to be able to do language really well. And uh, and now uh, t computers are able to eat 90% of humans on the bar. Right. right. Uh, so, uh, so it does language really well. So all of the product ideas I've had since 2015 are now within reach and almost trivial <laughs> to be able to do. So I would say that uh, the, the next two years will be filled with all of that low-hanging fruit. That is all of these products that I've had in my brain 
and the team at VLEX have had in their brain for the last years that we're going to be able to roll these out seriatim uh, very quickly. Uh, and then, uh, and I think everyone in the industry um, hopefully will be able to follow suit uh, to from, take it from our. Okay. Well, let me let me ask you a access to justice question then. Will this improve access to justice? And and if so, how do you see what what's the lowest hanging fruit with, with A to J? Yeah, I, I'll answer that in two parts. Uh, one of which is uh, you know access to justice is closely related to I as a lawyer have a business model that is largely hourly today. So how will it affect the hourly business model, and then how will it affect the A to J uh, business model? So I'll talk the hourly business model. A lot of people are saying my associate spends ten hours asking this question that the tool that we just showed a minute ago will now answer in a minute and a half. Where does my billable hour go? And my response to that is, you know, they spent 10 hours today on, uh, or yesterday on a question, question number one. But if you can get the answer in a minute and a half, they can move on to question number two and three and 20 and 30. And so in those 10 hours, you actually get 20 questions answered rather than just the one question answered. Maybe you spend the same amount of time, but think about how much better your product is for your clients to be able to do the follow-up. Because in data science, when I worked at Facebook's data scientists, the answer is almost never with question number one. You get the answer to question one, you're like, oh, isn't that interesting? Now you ask for question number two, number three. So I would say that the hourly business model may be in jeopardy uh, because it only takes a minute and a half, but maybe we'll just fill it up with more work uh, to do that. Right. Then to the access to justice question, um, you can imagine that if you work for a legal aid organization or if you're a pro bono, maybe you stop with question one and you answer it a minute and a half and get that out the door more quickly, making it cheaper for you to provide those services to the 80% of humans that can't do, that can't afford lawyers today. Maybe we'll strike that from the 10 hour tasks to the one minute tasks to make it more able, make us as a profession more able to serve the population. Okay, well, let me ask you one, one last question then, um, and this just popped into my head. If I were a judge, how would I approach the, this change and how things are coming to me? I mean, people are gonna be able to analyze my decisions, um, I'm going to, uh, you know, is, how would you suggest that a judge use AI tools like this? I would say that, uh, two answers to that. Uh, I clerked for a state, uh, appellate judge and a uh, federal district court judge. And I know that, um, especially with the discord level, uh, judges have to deal all the time with pro se, uh, litigants that is unrepresented litigants. And my job as a judge is very difficult with those pro se litigants because I have to essentially serve as their lawyer and then try to be kind of fair to the other side at the same time. Uh, so that is a very difficult pr proposition. Um, and so pro se uh, clients are generally um, uh, rare uh, today, but you can imagine emboldened with ChatGPT, maybe I as a pro se litigant might be, might make a pretty good complaint uh, with GPT. Right. Um, and where in the past, I as a judge might've patted that pro se person on the then saying, oh, we have these things called procedural rules, right? And dismiss the case early. Maybe GPT is able to provide a really good answer to a motion to dismiss. So I can't pat them on the head anymore and make them go away. So between more people filing pro se filings and fewer of them going away on motions to dismiss, if we think we have a backlog today, right. we ain't seen nothing yet. And so really, um, I talked to a bunch of judges, including a bunch of Article three judges that had me uh, speak at their, uh, at their retreat over three days. And I said, a way to be able to help this is to have use large language models as a system to be able to assist that pro se litigant. Uh, so I don't have to be able to serve as their lawyer too. They just have essentially a system to be able to assist those pro se people so I could be fairer uh, and really provide that access to justice in a way that is truly fair. Um, so I, I think that uh, the upsides of judges being able to, uh, and then once you do that, uh, I clerked for a judge and mostly my, my job as a clerk was to say, your honor, plaintiff said 
defendant said, I think you should say. Uh, here are the 12 causes of action, and here's how I do that analysis for all those. You could imagine a large language model making that process much faster, where now I could be able to have the large language model do that connection, plaintiff says, defendant says, and also say, hey, there are three elements to this claim. Defendant missed number three. Therefore, defendant loses. Uh, and so to be able to make that process of deciding faster. So as I talk to judges, uh, your question is like, are they going to be maybe worried that people can be able to fly spec them and be able to, you know, say, oh, this judge is fairer than that judge. Right. But I would say that the, the, at least from my experience with judges, that is that they're way more excited about the thing that I uh, just discussed than they are worried about the thing you just All right. Well, Damien Real, thank you very much for uh, cutting out for lunch and, and meeting with me today. Um, if uh, someone wants to learn more about this, uh, where, where do they need to go? Online? Sure. Uh, VLEX.com. That's V-L-E-X.com. And the tool is Vincent AI. And uh, if you want to reach out to me either on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, I guess we're, we're X. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's uh, Damien Real is my uh, my X handle. And, uh, and I'm happy to talk to anyone who has yours. All right. Thank you very much. Thank and thanks, everyone, for tuning in uh, to the Geek in Review. Uh, we can be reached, uh, I can be reached online on exit, uh, G Lambert and, uh, Lambert pod on threads or better yet LinkedIn. I'm spending most of my time on LinkedIn. Um, so thanks again, Damien. And our music is from uh, Jerry David DeSicco. Thanks, Jerry. See you later. Thanks. Thanks.